Screw it, screw it, we're just gonna talk about Spider-Man. Welcome to Screw It, we're just gonna talk about Spider-Man with your two hosts, Kevin Hines and Will Hines. Uh, I am the Will Hines part of that pair. And I'm the Kevin Hines part. Uh, This is the podcast where we say, screw it, let's just talk about Spider-Man because we're huge Spider-Man fans. We grew up reading Spider-Man comics. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's never been more popular. And also, uh, we like talking about him still. So we started this podcast to talk about Spider-Man. And specifically, we are focused on the original comics that featured Spider-Man by Steve Ditko and Stan Lee. Uh, those are his creators. So these are the first stories ever done by Spider about Spider-Man. Yeah. However, this particular episode of our podcast is breaking that format. Yeah. Stanley and Steve Ditko were not involved with any of the stories we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Today. So since since usually on this podcast, we talk about these old Ditko Lee issues. Um, today, we thought we would talk about some of the stories we've loved from Spider-Man's existence that happened long after Long after the Ditko Lee run. So we're going to do some of our favorite Spidey stories just from non, non-Ditko non ones, basically. This this idea sort of reminds me, uh, Conan used to do a bit on his show called Stories We Missed Out On, I think. Okay. Where they would talk about headline news that were before the Conan show existed. Oh. <laughs> and then they would do bits about it that they would have done if they were on the air at that time. <laughs> and it sort of feels like we're doing that same thing. It's like we created a podcast just about the Ditko issues. Here's what we can't do. Yeah. Here's, here's us talking about stuff that we, that we boxed ourselves out of. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, and um, yes, yeah, so that's what we're doing today, Kevin. I approve. Are we going to drop this right after issue 24? I think so. Yeah. Then let's talk about Spider-Man news. Cause we actually have some slight Spider-Man news. Okay. Oh, slight Spider-Man. News. Yeah. Uh, the, the trailer for the new animated Miles Morales movie the full trailer dropped since we last recorded. All right. What do you think? It's really fun. Yeah. Uh, the animation style is really cool. Uh, the voice acting is really, it's funny. Yeah. Uh, there's some really fun moments in it between Miles and his dad, as well as between Miles and Peter Parker. Cool. Uh, have you watched it yet? I haven't seen it yet. All right. Because I told you about it. I know. I know. I've, just, I've been busy. All right. I had to watch not- the movie Hereditary and have my mind scrambled. Okay. Well, Spider-Man's not in that movie, so you made a huge mistake. I thought he would be. Um, I thought he would be. I was misled. It's a fun trailer. I don't know how much it appeals to people who aren't Spider-Man fans, only because it seems to involve like him dimension hopping, dimension hopping with bunches of Spider-Mans. Hmm. Uh, there's more than two Spider-Mans in the trailer, or Spider-People. Because <laughs> uh, Gwen Stacy, who becomes a Spider-Woman in one of the universes, shows up. Oh, cool. Uh, and I don't know if like you are a casual Spider-Man fan who likes him in the movies. If you saw that, you'd be like, ah, too much. Or you'd be like, yeah, that looks cool. I yeah. really have no, I can't put myself in that mindset. Yeah. I wonder sometimes like if like, if, if it's, it's sort of the kind of thing where, well, if you, if you go a certain amount of, if you, if you do a certain number of references, you'll leave people out. But then if you keep going and do a massive number of references, then all of a sudden you're leaving so many people out that everybody feels included. Like when you're watching it, you're like, well, nobody knows all this stuff. So I guess I'm in on it as much as anybody or something like that. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe like a little league of extraordinary gentlemen where there's just so much stuff packed in there that you're just sort of like, I'll catch some of it. Yeah. It's like, oh, by design, I'm supposed to be missing some of this. And then also I wonder, Kevin, since we are old men and out of yeah. touch with everything, if, if it's just sort of like expected modern media, basically, this is the age of information. People have, have absorbed so much stuff that they're used to just massive amounts of information in their stories 
and like crossovers and like just things feel more dense and complicated in general, movies, comics, TV shows. And so maybe people can handle it. And maybe this amount of density will just make people feel comfortable or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I have no idea. I mean, I watched the Flash TV show, which it involves multiple dimensions uh, and Flash jumps between Earth 1 and Earth 2 and Earth 3. And it seems pretty understandable. So I might just be over worried about it, but I watch it. I go, oh, I hope this appeals to people and isn't isn't just appealing to fans like fanboys. Yeah, it's a tough balance. Like these comic books, especially characters like Spider-Man, they were born in the 60s. There's been hundreds, maybe thousands of stories told. And how do you account for it? Yeah, I don't know. Amazing Spider-Man issue number 800 just came out. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's crazy. And last week we talked about issue 24. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, you know, that's the challenge the modern creators have, but also the modern absorbers of these stories. However, you know, like you're saying, Spider-Man's more popular than ever. Like something about him still works just intrinsically. The costume, the look, the vibe, like kids especially, they just they just grab onto that. Yeah, uh, my younger, my uh, yeah, my son, who I'm trying to brainwash into liking Spider-Man, is taking to him very quickly. Uh, he won't eat on anything other than a Spider-Man plate now. Oh, nice, nice. Uh, which is great. He's like, Spidey man, Spidey man. Ooh, good. You're doing good work. And of course, this will so, eventually, when he reaches his rebellious phase, maybe, what if, maybe he'll rebel in a really weirdly specific way and he'll only like the, you know, the Venom costume, but he'll try to do it as like a rebellious teenager. Shut up, dad. Black costume's the only good Spider-Man or something like that. Or maybe he'll be a very weird, weird. It'd be a weird rejection. (laughs) Or maybe he'll just be like, Amazing Spider-Man 2 is the best movie, dad. You don't get it. And then you're sitting there in a chair with like a pipe and a newspaper being like, don't you say that to me. I'm I'm the Robbie Robertson of that uh, visual. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I'm envisioning a really fun, rebellious face. Um, Well, as long as we're talking about Spider-Man, I guess it's okay by me. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's like, I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm curious to see that movie. I wonder, I, uh, it sounds like it's fun. I mean, I, I'm, I, I wonder if it'll be the kind of thing that people, it'll be done so well that people just feel included. Yeah, I mean, the trailer made me laugh twice. Um, it looks cool. So I am excited about it more so than I was when it was first announced. Yeah. Just because now it looks good. Yeah. Um, it seems fun. It definitely sounds from what you're telling me like a very like fanboy friendly, not dumbing it down version of this story. Yeah. Uh, it, it'll so much of Miles Morales's character is sort of him being the the second Spider-Man mm-hmm. that I was wondering how they would do it without Peter Parker. And the answer was they're not. Peter Parker's in it. So <laughs> um, that answered that question. Yeah. Well, I'm curious to see it. That's good. That's good. Spider-Man news. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, watch that trailer if you haven't already, Spider-Man fans. Um, I've, I'm mostly talking to you, you Will. Uh, I'll watch it, yes. Um, I have a very, even even less less important Spider-Man news, kind of a preview of something I'll talk about in a future podcast, which is I just ordered some uh, comic books uh, from Steve Ditko's website, um, like stuff he did this year. So this is uh, because Jordan Gibson, who was on our podcast last week, talked about this. You went out and ordered it. Yeah, Jordan Gibson, who was one of our guests last week, uh, who's done some uh, coloring work for recent Spider-Man issues, and he's also an artist in his own right. Huge Steve Ditko fan, huge Spider-Man fan in general, um, clued us into some recent Ditko stuff. And so I ordered a bunch. I'm really excited to hear about that. I'm working my way through his DC stuff that was post-Spider-Man. Yeah. So, um, And it's just fun to just to... 
see more Ditko. Yeah. So um, it's going to be interesting to see something he drew in uh, 2018 or maybe seven, <laughs> maybe 17 and released it in 2018. You know, really modern. So, uh, and um, we'll talk about this more when I actually have it in hands. But Ditko, uh, this is going to be a bit of an unfair characterization. He can sound a little crazy or maybe intense is a better way to put it. Like a very uh, serious an earnest guy. And uh, I wonder I wonder what these stories are going to be. It is crazy to imagine someone who's so serious writing uh, Spider-Man and Blue Beetle, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. things like, like basically superheroes. Like, I'm going to yeah. put on this costume and swing around and punch this guy. Yeah. And he goes yeah. home and is like, ah, this is not, you know. Not true objectivism. Don't belittle, don't belittle my work. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm curious, but, um, but I'm glad he's doing it and I'm glad to have gotten it. So uh, that is a preview yeah. of something we'll talk about when I actually have it in my hot little hands. Great. Uh, so let's talk. What are the three stories we're going to talk about today? Well, so today we're going to talk about three arcs that Kevin and I love. Um, one of them is a story called the kid who collects Spider-Man, very famous Spider-Man story. That's, you know, well regarded by lots of Spidey fans. Yeah. It's and only it, half an issue long. It's a short story. Yeah. Very short. By Roger Stern in something like 1984 or something like that. And then we're going to do uh, a six-issue story called Craven's Last Hunt um, by J.M. Uh, DeMatteis. Yes. Um, that And that was done in the 80s also. Uh, not long after Kid Who Collects, I think. Maybe a couple years. Not, not too long, no. And then um, we're going to do a more mo- a more modern one by Mark Wade, a two-parter called uh, Unscheduled Stop. That you've renamed Lucky Day. Lucky Day is the proper title of that story. Mark Wade screwed up. Yeah. So we're going to talk about how Mark Wade really screwed up this story. When he hears this. giving the wrong title. Oh, man. Once he, because I, I picture all the Spider-Man creators gathering around an old-timey radio to listen to episodes of this podcast as soon as they're released. Ugh, it's going to ruin his career. And I feel bad because he's doing some great work. Well, he deserves he, it. He, it he needs mis- to happen. He, he needs misnamed to that story. So anyway, so let's start with... Uh, the kid who collects, yeah, or who, the kid who collected, I guess, is really what it's called. Uh, kid who collected Spider-Man, and um, yeah, this is uh, you know outside of issue thirty-three of the original run, probably my favorite single issue of Spider-Man, um, both because it is good and um, but because it really hit me by surprise. It always works whenever I reread it, and because I found out that you liked it, Kevin. Um, yeah, kind of a. Separate, separately from from me, sort of. Yeah, I don't remember reading this when it came out in a single issue. I don't either, but we so but we were reading Spider Man. Yeah, I don't remember reading the storyline. It may have been just before I was really reading Spider Man. Yeah, maybe because um, some of Stern definitely predates when I was really digging into it. Yeah, but it was in the is in one of the greatest hits of Spider Man collections. Right, that's or maybe the greatest Spider-Man stories ever told or some title like that. I don't remember exactly what the title was. It was in there that I remember reading it and I cried. Yeah, me too. I, I uh, It got me good. Um, yeah, I didn't, I did not read it in its original run and I was reading Spider-Man right around then. So I don't know if I just missed it or what, but like, but um, it would be so interesting to read this in the original run because it, it, the first half of the issue seems to be just like him fighting, uh, thunderball or something yeah like a pretty uh, pretty standard bad guy story yeah and it just sort of ends after like 11 pages and then this is other story just kicks in that's completely alone and isolated um a done in one that isn't connected to anything else that's just really good that it just feels like roger stern wanted to write the story and then just said like all right where am i gonna put it yeah so like What's interesting about the kid who collected Spider-Man is, um, I mean, many interesting things is, yeah, like like Kevin is saying, is like it's not a standard, you know, bad guy story. There's no bad guy in it. 
It's this it's this, it's if, this very sweet anything. sentimental story that I I actually when I reread it last night and uh I th- uh it's one of those things where the timing and the pace are so crucial to making it work cuz I think it could have been not great if they hadn't gotten all the details right. It's also interesting to me cuz it sort of almost serves as like a nice recap to Spider-Man. Yeah. If you just started reading Spider-Man recently, it recaps his origin in a very interesting, unique way. Right, right. Now we uh, had, so you read it in the greatest, the greatest, some collection version, yeah. right? Yes. I, I did too. I did too. I read it like in some collection, was really um, blown away by it. But I think I read it after you and I, maybe after I was, after I had stopped reading comics on the reg or something like that. Because there, there was a while when we were kids, we'd read comics. They would come out. We would go to our comic book stop store, Outer Limits, and then we read read our comics and like talk about them. In you know, invariably. Yeah, I would and read them the day we got them. Yeah, I would just sit down and just read through all of them. I got around to it. I had you know, I was cooler. But no, um, not me. For a long, long time, I just read them that day. I put them in an order that I, I just stack them up and read them through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I, you know, there, there was a time where we, we would be discussing the ongoing, you know, plot lines of whatever. But th- then there was a time when I, st- I stopped reading it on the reg and, you know, it would just be you and I would check in now and then. And even that got to be like more and more infrequent. Um, but so sometime after we were reading them together, I, I, I read Kid Who Collected. I was really blown away. And then sometime after that, I was talking to you and this story came up and you said how you'd read it and cried. And I was like, oh my God, I did too. And it was like this, oh, even though we were separately reading comics, we still had this kind of separate but shared experience. Yeah, it's it's great. It's it's wonderfully drawn. Yeah. Um, and it's, like you said, wonderfully paced. Roger Stern really is one of the best uh, Spider-Man writers that there ever was. Um, yeah, he's one of the great ones, right? And he, and he, and he wrote Spider-Man in the early 80s. Yeah. Um, and he didn't write it for a super long time, but I think he just left a big, big impact. He just did a lot of cool stuff. He was, I mean, he's a great writer. He had a great Avengers run. I I think of him as an Avengers writer first, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but his Spider-Man stuff is hugely important. Um, yeah, the, the penciler is Ron Friends, who I actually, yes. I, I, I haven't heard of Ron Friends, which that doesn't necessarily Ron mean is lots great. Of people. He's great. Okay. There's lots of people that I haven't heard of, and that doesn't mean anything if I haven't heard of somebody, but. I think I, Ron Friends, uh, later in his and he's probably still working, got unfairly kind of stuck on like nostalgia projects a lot. Mm, I, I mean, the work here is very modern, I would say. It doesn't doesn't seem to be held back. Well, let, let's let's actually, let's say a little bit about the story. The, the story is, sure. I'll, I'll avoid the spoiler here, but like the setup is that there, Spidey is visiting a kid who is an enormous Spider-Man fan. And he's visiting this kid because a newspaper columnist for the Bugle wrote this story about this kid who has all the Spider-Man memorabilia. Spidey has read the newspaper story and in the middle of the night is visiting this kid as like a special treat. Right. And the story is told like by switching between the article and Spider-Man's visit. So we're slowly reading the article as Spider-Man visits the kid. And we hear about how like the kid collected like every article and photograph he could get of Spider-Man from the newspapers. Yeah. Uh, memorabilia. And so like Kevin was saying, like it serves as sort of a recap of Spidey's history because the kid has collected everything. So and 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 as you know, yeah, he goes over his origin and like some adventures and some hard to get things. So we learn about Spidey. And then also Spider-Man is sharing with him sort of like behind the scenes 
info that the kid wouldn't have. Yeah. Um, the kid asks how he got his powers and he tells him without saying who he is. Yeah. About the uh, uh, spider bite and about how it affected him very fast and the things that happened. We see like the panels uh, sort of recreations of the original story of him like leaping out of the way of the car and yeah. breaking the metal pipe. But his like face is shrouded in darkness and that sort of a thing Spider-Man is not going to share with just anyone, but he's sharing with this kid who's just a big fan. Yeah, and he like asks about the web shooters, and so Spider-Man like pulls back the sleeve of his costume and shows him the web shooters and demonstrates them. So he's giving this kid this like real insider's tour. Right, and then it takes like a turn where the kid asks, you used to be on television just like entertainer, and then you started fighting crime. What changed? Yeah. Which is a very personal question for Spider-Man, and he answers it. He gets sad, but he answers it without a blink of an eye. Yeah, he explains how that he let a criminal go and the criminal murdered somebody close to him and that he's still tortured by it. And he's even as he's telling the story, which and they've been having this like happy time, Spidey gets sad and he's like, yeah, maybe you should have picked somebody else to be your hero. Like the guilt is overcoming uh, Spidey. Yeah, the kid is unfazed by it, still thinks Spider-Man's the best, which, you know, he is. I mean, the kid's right. Kid's right. Spidey's the best. Uh, and so, you know, you're reading this story. Oh, and it's also it's done in a style. um, because I've read interviews or short interviews with Roger Stern, and he mentions that this is done in the style of Will Eisner. Will Eisner, the comics creator of the 40s, who did a character called The Spirit. Um, and, uh, the, the, you know, it, there is sort of like... the. Eisner's 40s thing was like lots of like shadows and rain and like film noir and, you know, gritty New York streets. Uh, and it's, you know, newspaper men and, and Tommy guns and stuff like that. Like that's Will Eisner's. And Will Eisner also would do these kind of like short everyman stories, not not supernatural stuff. Yeah. And he was and he was also big into storytelling, like telling the story and the way the story is told almost being as interesting as the story itself, if not more interesting. Yeah. And the way this is interspersed with the article, I think, plays into that for sure. It's definitely a storytelling. It feels like the idea to intersperse it with the article was right from the beginning part of the story. Yeah. Um, so it, it does have kind of an old timey feel, e even for 1984, uh, it would feel sort of old timey. So it's like this sweet tale, right? And the kid is like, he's a real like, aw shucks, you know, fresh face yeah. sort of happy kid. Um, so let's get to the, let's get to the big turn. So yeah, uh, so Spider-Man talks about all his stuff. It's time for the kid to go to sleep. Spider-Man says goodnight and he goes to leave through the window and the kid says, will you tell me who you really are? Right. The big, the big, the big secret, the big thing that this kid would never have be able to find out through his collecting. And Spider-Man's initial reaction is, yeah, I can't do that. I can't tell anyone who I am. It's a, I have to keep this a secret. Yeah. And the kid understands. His kid's name is Tim. We keep calling him the kid, but. Uh, well, he's the kid who collects. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, we're just respecting the title. Um, the kid. Take a note, Mark Wade. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mark Wade, worst title ever. Um, <laughs> so the kid gets very sentimental with Spidey and like he gets kind of sad. He looks down. He goes, I'd never tell another soul that I knew as long as I lived. Honest. Yeah. And the lighting is moody because the lights are off in the room now. So it's just like the moonlight coming through the window. Spider-Man goes to leave again and he stops. And from from behind, he pulls off his mask. Yeah. So like you just look at Spider-Man from his point of view, the kid's point of view, and he pulls off his mask and he turns around. Yeah, and, he, and he's showing his face and he goes, my name is Peter Parker. I took most of the photos that go with the article you saved. And why this page works so well. This is where I credit the artist. I mean, obviously, Roger Stern's a great writer and... It's out of the park. He knocks it out of the park. This moment feels emotional. You don't even know the full story yet. Yeah. And it already, it hits me here, maybe because I already know it somewhat, but it feels 
sort of important and sad and not sort of like, ah, oh, kid, you're my little partner now. There's some sort s- of there's some sort of like trust or something. S- somehow uh, it evokes the a- as if the character is talking directly to the fans somehow that like I trust you, you, you and me, we're in this together. Like I, yeah. tr- I trust you and we have a friendship and I can't even share this with anybody, but I will share it with you. It's funny because like pulling the mask off becomes a thing that every Marvel hero does like a million times if they've been around for a long time. Every movie, for sure. And they have to make it like a big deal and a big dramatic reveal. But, you know, it it almost becomes like a trope for the costume hero to reveal his identity. So that's why I'm saying like it shouldn't work, especially on rereads, but it does work. And I really credit uh, Ron Friends uh, with the pacing and the shadows here because when he turns around and pulls the mask off, it really gets me. It's really sweet and nice and cool. Yeah. Roger Stern and Ron Friends really work well together here. They're, it's yeah. a perfect uh, symphony between the two of them. Yeah. Uh, and the next page where he's sort of talking to this kid and uh, the kid's so happy to that he's sharing the secret uh, and Spider-Man hugs him. And when the basically the camera, uh, for lack of a better word, shows just Peter's face hugging him, Peter looks so sad. Yeah. And at this point, it's it's all over for me. We're only like a page <laughs> left. Uh, but I'm just like, once you see that panel, it's like, uh-oh, the shoe's about to drop. <laughs> yeah. And then we, and then Spidey jumps uh, out his window and he's swinging away. And then we, and then the big reveal of the story is that uh, this kid's in a cancer clinic. And then we see the end of the newspaper article, which is like, uh, it says, oh, and I hope that Spidey visits him. I hope he, I hope this kid gets his wish to meet his hero. I hope that Spidey's reading this column. Because he has leukemia and he only has a few more weeks to live or something. Yeah. And the last shot of Spider-Man you see is him standing on the wall, sobbing into his hand as like he stands above the plaque that's like the the Slocum uh, Brenner Cancer Clinic. Yeah. And it's, oof, it's a really sweet, sad thing. Yeah. Peter cares so much. Uh, that of course he was going to go see this kid and of course it's going to affect him forever. It's one of these stories though that like, I mean, I have no, but it's a great story. Uh, well, I guess I, I do. I do have a sort of, uh, it would work better if it was Wolverine. Is that what you're going to say? <laughs> yeah. Should be Wolverine. And he should kill the kid. Like he should reveal the secret <laughs> and then murder the kid to make sure no loose yeah, ends. Yeah. Sorry, kid. You understand. Um, yeah, yeah. That sounds right. Um, no, I, it's, it's like, it's almost too sentimental. I, I, I have to say something negative to compliment this, but it's like, it's so over the top. It's like, oh, the kid's dying of leukemia and it's like this big sentimental thing. But I'm reminded, I'm weirdly reminded of old John Steinbeck stories, like of Mice and Men, you know, or like Grapes of Wrath or something. Because uh, St- Steinbeck stories can be so sentimental and like really pulling the heartstrings. But because Steinbeck is such a great writer and the characters... <laughs> are drawn so specifically that it's deeply, deeply moving. And uh, this this to me is the same way, like the, the pacing of the story, the kid's energy, the realization that Peter trusts him and is moved by the kid's affection, uh, the fact that there's this newspaper man who's making, making a, his big move to try to get Spider-Man to know about this kid and that it's worked. It, uh, it, uh, it's in the details. This, this story really nails it. And I think it's also the slow reveal that Spider-Man reveals his origin, but keeps his identity secret at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, the article is just about like, this is just your number one fan. This is just about Spider-Man seeing his number one fan. Yeah, you know, that's... Which in and of itself is sweet and nice. And then there's more to it. Yeah, you know what? And I'm, maybe it's maybe it's because 
the kid, like, Spidey has this moment of feeling guilty and the kid reassures him that he knows he's made up for it and done good work. And the kid also collected all of the times the bugle had to retract negative stories about Spider-Man. Like, the kid sort of shows empathy or something like that. Maybe he earns it in some subtle way. Maybe there's a very slight yeah. give and take over the story that I'm not seeing so that when Spidey does it, it feels earned or something. I mean, there's also this thing of like, is there harm in telling this kid uh, if he, you know, if under normal circumstances? Maybe. But it seems like a hard thing to convince a kid that you can't tell him who you are. Yeah. Um, um, but, but you can tell there's something else going on by that point. Even the way he asks him at that moment, he's like, can you tell me who you are? Spider-Man's face is like lit by the moonlight. It already is starting to look serious and dramatic. It takes, that's really where the turn really starts. Yeah. And the kid, will you tell me who you really are? That moment is like, right, right, right. Or I'll never tell anybody. And then there's an ellipsis long as I lived, which the kid at this point knows is not long. Yeah. So yeah, it's really sweet. It reminds me, it's things that I really get me and I'm like, (laughs) I'm almost like I'd be embarrassed to tell somebody. It's like the end of The Rookie gets me. The movie The Rookie where Dennis Quaid is the relief pitcher. Yeah. That gets me too. That movie gets me too. And I don't even know if that's a good movie, you know, or like. Uh, the, The moment in that movie where he calls his family to tell him he made the big league team. It's crazy. I find very powerful. Uh. It's it's a very emotionally happy moment. Yeah. It's a dream come true and he gets to share it with the people that mean the most to him. It's it's that's too much. That movie, I don't I don't know if that movie's good either, but it is one of my favorite movies. <laughs> um so the kid who collected Spider-Man is sort of like the rookie of comics to me. I mean, I will, everybody, everybody, this is a well-regarded story. Like it's super well-respected, yeah. but it's, sometimes it'll, sometimes I'll be in conversations with people and they'll be like, what's your, what's your biggest tearjerker movie? And people will say like, ah, oh, the notebook or, uh, you know, terms of endearment or something. And in my head, I'm like, kid who collected Spider-Man, but I, they, they will not have heard of this story. So I can't bring it up. <laughs> um, it's just good. I mean, the fact that it's a short story, I think, also helps. It's it eleven pages. Get you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is that the? Is that how many Amazing Fantasy fifteen is? I don't know. It's right around the same number of pages. I think it might be a little bit more. Fa- amazing Fantasy fifteen. Yeah. Um, well, it's a good one, and 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 if you're a Spider Man fan, you you've probably read the story or you know of it. It's collected all the time, deservedly. Uh, but you know, it was the back half of an issue. I don't I don't know if they knew how much it was going to connect with people. I mean, they put it on the cover. They knew it was a good story. Oh yeah, that's right. Still the back half. I guess they feel that they feel the need to. You gotta you gotta deliver what you promise, and you gotta have a bad guy fight. So the first half of this comic does that. Yeah, and also that it seems like it's finishing up what happened the previous issue. Yeah. Um. Whatever the reasons are, I think they knew it was good. I don't know if they knew it would be one of the all time great classics. Yeah. I don't know if you ever know that when you're doing it. You hope. They, some of the stories are that, but you can't know. Um, well, I'm always happy to see it like collected or put on people's lists and stuff like that. It's oof, it's really good. It's really yeah. And this next one that we're going to talk about is also often on lists of greatest Spider-Man stories of all, all time. Right, we'll move to our next one. So this is we're going to do Craven's Last Hunt. Uh, yeah, I, I love this story. This is I, I love this this so much. And this one I do remember reading when it came out, and I was like. And that's part, partly why it impacted me so much. I was so excited to read each successive chapter. Yeah, I think at this time I was just maybe collecting Web of for some arbitrary reason. Yeah. Um, I wasn't collecting all of them and you weren't collecting any of the other ones, I don't think. So it was sort of just um, you heard about this coming and I think bought all the issues. Yeah, it's a little foggy. 
I mean, this is 31 issues into web. So you, you, you bought every issue of web, I think. So I think cause Marvel team up was the first book I ever collected and it became web. And I think I just sort of was like, Oh, yeah. now I have to collect that. Yeah. So I feel like you were, you were getting that anyway. I thought I was getting amazing. I think weirdly I was getting amazing, but not Peter Parker for some reason. I, I, don't, I don't, that might be true. I don't uh, remember. You may have stopped at that point, but I don't remember what was going on. I don't remember us buying the comics when he got married, which is shortly before this. I, I, I that's how I remembered. Also, I, I remember not buying it. I remember seeing like in like the news, Spider Man got married or whatever, and being like, huh. Yeah, and that happened shortly before these this amazing. So yeah, maybe we don't. Maybe we. Went. I think you had stopped collecting amazing at this point. There was a period where you were just collecting amazing for sure. Yeah, uh, and there's a period where we were collecting both amazing and Peter Parker the Spectacular before. Yeah, I was phasing out here. Like when Peter when Spectacular Spider Man was on like issue a hundred, uh, we were collecting it for sure. Yeah, yeah, but I don't know how much longer past that we went because I remember issues ninety nine and a hundred, the gang war storyline pretty well yeah i remember and cloak and dagger would appear in peter parker the spectacular spider-man and i would get every cloak and dagger story i could get which is now a tv series yep now it's a, a freeform tv show i just watched the first episode and i really dug it i gotta watch it i really liked the trailer for the show and i'm hopeful that i'll like it yeah the first step is really uh, fun i'm excited to see the next one. well i I'm, I'm gonna watch it they've definitely they've reinvented the characters pretty significantly but it seems smart to me it seems like you'd have to too they're very much a uh, a thing of their era. Yeah. Uh, you know, characters from their time. They've really, they've smartened the story up in a nice way or modernized yeah. it, I guess, or something. Anyway, it looks great. So that's a little plug for Cloak and Dagger. Um, you're welcome, Freeform. You're welcome, Freeform. For making Freeform just, a hit. Yeah. Destroying Mark Wade's career. We just destroyed one Mark podcast. Wade and saved Freeform. Um, okay, so Craven's Last Hunt. So yeah, this came out. So whatever we were doing, we were on this when it came out somehow. And we read it as I think a, you were on it. I don't, I think it, I think I was still young enough that it, I didn't know what was ever coming up. Okay. And I knew this was, I wasn't paying attention to that stuff. I think you must've bought the issues. Okay. So we read them. So yeah, this is a six part story. Craven, the hunter, an insane villain created by Steve Ditko. And we've already covered him in our podcast issues. Yeah. Whose whole thing is that he likes to hunt. And just to go back one other second, it's probably not even necessary, but the weird thing about this was it wasn't like Spider-Man had three titles at this point, which is a lot. Yeah. There's amazing, spectacular and web and each storyline sort of went their own yeah. way. Amazing would have their they own storyline. They would story mention line. each other's. Yeah. Amazing would only continue in the amazing title. And then Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man would have its own contained thing. The, the three Spidey titles rarely crossed too much. Right. And he would think about like, oh, I just fought Hobgoblin. It would say like, read Amazing Spider-Man or whatever. Yeah. But they didn't cross over necessarily. And when this storyline came out, it was in all three books. So it came out three times a month. It was like a weekly story. Yeah, man. And oof, is it good. I mean, and I just reread it uh, this morning and I still love it. I mean, it, it is cool, man. It is a really trippy, freaky, fun ride. And I re- yeah, I just read it, reread it this past weekend and uh, it's great. I mean, Mike Zeck is the artist and he is so good. Tremendous. Yeah. He would do a big Punisher run that would be really popular, right? Uh, uh, yes, I think he did the original Punisher miniseries. He, de- he, he definitely did the original miniseries because I remember buying it. He also did uh, Nam. There was like they did Marvel did a comic book series on the Vietnam War, and Mike Zeck drew that. It's a strange plug. And that's oh, and I, I, highly regarded. I think he did Secret Wars. I think he did Secret Wars as well. I was going to say that, but I wasn't a hundred percent sure. He might have not done every issue. Yeah. I mean, that's probably his most like famous credit, but like I, the, the art in this is um, he paid more attention, I think, or was given more time or something. But it does show that he's a good artist. You're not going to put 
You're going to put a great artist on your big push for money, Secret Wars. Yeah, your big money grab crossover. Which I love. I love Secret Wars. I do too, but it's a guilty pleasure because I don't think that story holds up too well. The story is very arbitrary, but I... uh, I still, when I reread it, I'm still like, I still like this. I don't know if it's just because of when I read it as a kid, but I can't shake how much I enjoy it. Yeah. Um, Okay. So we're not talking about Secret Wars. We're talking about Craven's Last Hunt. So uh, yeah, it's a six part story. Came out every week um, or like with one week off the the fourth, the fourth week. But like, and Mike Zek drew it and it was great. JM uh, DiMatteis wrote it. And it's one of these things where they take an old villain, Craven. Um, and they sort of like modernize him with, yes. with like kind of cool, they give him more of a psychological, uh, motivation and they sort of expand the character to make him more, I don't know, readable yeah, they, or adult or something. So he's not as not, crazy. They're not modernizing him in the sense of like changing his look or his, the way he operates. Cause he's still like at some point dresses in his lion vest and uh leopard pants he's still drinking potions out of big goblets yeah he still hunts spider-man that's still his big thing but they just dig into the character and and say like all right what makes this guy tick what's he really thinking versus like a surface level big game hunter yeah um how can we take the story that that has been established so far and retroactively make it a little deeper yeah and so the story is basically about Craven wanting to prove he's better than Spider-Man. Yeah, he's been defeated by Spider-Man before, and so he wants to beat him utterly. But like, it's uh, it's it's just um, trippy, right? Like, yeah, he he. It's it's basically there's there's a number of motifs over these six issues. It shows Craven like training in training to beat Spider-Man. He's in a room full of spiders. He's trying to understand the spider animal nature of yeah, he's Spider-Man. Like eating, he's eating handfuls of spiders. <laughs> yeah. Like somehow trying to like get into the mind of a spider. I mean, like it's sort of insane. And he's he's dwelling a lot on his like royal past, like talking a lot about his parents being like these Russian uh, upper class lords whose dignity was robbed when they had to come to America or something. And then he hints at his mother's insanity and sort of like I guess telling us the readers that maybe Craven is insane because he inherited it from his mom or something. Yeah. And also that he has sort of in his own mind justified why he gets so obsessed with Spider-Man as that Spider-Man, his essence is sort of his spider essence is sort of like the thing that's plagued him his entire life, not Spider-Man himself. So he thinks like there's some otherworldly thing that is like given his mother insanity and ruined the Russian government and also a Spider-Man. Yeah, he's a full paranoid lunatic. But yeah, but Spider-Man sort of just represents everything that has gone wrong for Craven. Yeah. And um, I guess it sort of like explains, well, why would this guy be so obsessed with this one character? And so this this sort of storyline provides that. Yeah. His his hunting preparation is pleasantly crazy, you know, eating gobs of spiders or whatever. But there's just tons of little moves in these stories that are very cool. Like the the characters in the story all have like animal counterparts. And so Mike Zek and, and JM are constantly having the characters interact with their animal counterparts. Like very early in the story, Peter's in his apartment and, and there's like a spider on the wall and he's kind of pleasantly regarding the spider Almost bemused, like, oh, yeah, look, a little spider. That's like a little me or something like that. He goes to, like, flick it for a second and then realizes, like, why would I do that? It's a spider. And just goes to sleep with, like, a spider right next to him. Yeah, and he's kind of... Something I I could not do. Yeah, and he's kind of smiling. Yeah. Um, But then he has a nightmare and he wakes up and he smushes the spider, right? 
Yes. So there's there's lots of like he has a nightmare about Craven. Uh, I think unbeknownst to him, somehow Craven's getting into his head already. Yeah, this is a very like uh, romantic story, not in terms of love, but in terms of like a lot of the events that happen are like motivated by emotional things. Like the more intense Craven gets. Peter Parker just starts having nightmares for no real reason. Yeah. And it's not your normal Spider-Man story in the sense that he's not, there's never a moment where he's like lighthearted and just sort of fighting and cracking jokes. It's all very uh, dark and morose. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. It even opens with this kind of, the the Spidey part of the story opens with uh, a funeral that's happening. There's a lot of like death and burial stuff throughout too. Yeah. He goes to like the funeral of like a common crook that he's like roughed up a few times. Joe Face. Not a bad guy, but just sort of just a criminal, but not like a horrible person. And Spider-Man donates money to a fund that other criminals are collecting to like help this guy pay for his funeral. Yeah. There's like, we see, there's like a bar where a bunch of thugs have gathered and there's this dead guy in a coffin and they're, they've collected money just to try to get him a common burial or something. Cause he didn't have any family. And like, they're all kind of like, well, we're doing this for him so that maybe somebody will do it for us. And then Spidey shows up and just drops a hunk of money, this kind of act of compassion. But the phrase that he uses Spidey like drops this stack of bills and then goes, um, a decent box and a piece of ground, I think he says. Well, that's because that's what they had said earlier. Oh, okay, okay. And uh, one of the, the the guy who's sort of doing a eulogy said, uh, um, we're putting a collection, the least we could do, get a decent box and a piece of ground. Yeah, so, but that's very like a old crime novel, like film noir talk. And it kind of sets the mood for the story, sort of. Yeah. But there's no joking. There's no like he even sort of like he he's in his black costume in this story, which is a very menacing looking costume. Yeah, but it adds uh, to the sort of like um, bleakness of this tale. Um, yeah, it's this was a thing that was going on in the '80s too. Like, um, I, I I kind of think Frank Miller was the leader of this. Like, what is the deep psychological stuff going on with these characters? How can we represent them as primal mythological figures? How can we get a little bit more violent than we've gotten? I mean, Frank Miller, in my opinion, would sort of go insane later in his career. But in the 80s, when he was in his prime, he was sort of leading the charge of let's do a bunch of dark crime stories where our characters are mythic primal forces. I mean, X-Men is becoming very popular and that was sort of a darker book yeah, in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, Dark Phoenix alone is a very dark storyline. But it's interesting. There was also such... Um, almost what you would call nostalgic takes too. Like Roger Stern's Avengers is a very classic Avengers run. Yeah. Uh, John Byrne's Fantastic Four is yeah. as classic yeah. as that title gets first, uh, other than its original run. Yeah. Mm. Um, so some parts of the comic verse were doing like just very, I think it's what helped the, these stories stand out is that there still was a lot of just like good normal yeah. comics. Yeah. So that when like a dark storyline, a deep, uh, intense storyline like Daredevil or the Spider-Man story or the Batman stuff that Frank Miller did, those really stood out. Yeah, or Killing Joke by Alan Moore. I mean, eventually it became a trope of yes. like comic writers getting like super violent almost arbitrarily just to like make their story stand up. But some of the first ones who did it did it really well. And there's a reason why they got copied, I guess. And there was something, there must have been something in the uh, the time that inspired these sorts of stories. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, even though I was reading by the time, I'm not even sure what that would be. I don't know, Ronald yeah. Reagan being president, the threat of nuclear war. Or maybe it's just that these are the people, the people writing these stories are the first generation that grew up reading them, you know? The kids yeah, in the 60s. Yeah, discover them as kids. Yeah, they're kids in the 60s reading the Stan Lee, Steve Ditko stuff. Now they're grownups in the 80s writing. So they're the first generation that's had it their whole life. 
I just listened to a podcast where uh, J.M. Uh, DiMatteis was interviewed. It was called uh, "It's um, Untold Talks of Spider-Man or something like that. Mm-hmm. You should mm-hmm. know it exactly. It was a really good, it, they talked about a storyline he did in Spectacular Spider-Man called The Child Within. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in talking about that, J.M. Uh, DiMatteis talks about how he was reading DC Comics when the Marvel Universe basically started. Okay. I sort of saw it and was sort of like, what is this? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like, sort of almost amateurish, but but raw. Bold. Yeah. Yeah. And Spider-Man was so weird with Ditko's art and it sort of drew him in, though he didn't really start reading it till Romita came on. Yeah, see, that makes sense. So like sometimes the fans of something understand it almost better than the creators do. Like they know how powerful it felt. And so he's trying to maybe recreate that freakishness uh, in, in, in the 80s. I don't know. Um, yeah. So there's lots of like creepy animal stuff. There's lots of think of these characters as their primal selves. There's lots of death and burial. Yeah. Cause there's a third character. Craven and Spider-Man are two of the characters, but there's also this character vermin that runs throughout it. Who's sort of this like rat man. So rats yeah. play a very big part of the story too. Yeah. So there's like spiders and rats all over the tale. So um, this first issue that came out in web of Spider-Man 31, it's called the coffin. It's part one of Craven's last hunt. It reading it, it's a huge surprise because Craven shoots and buries Spider-Man. Yes. The story ends with Spider-Man being buried seemingly dead. Yeah. Craven's one. Remember- he wanted to prove he could beat Spider-Man. And it seems like he's done it. Yeah. I just remember being like, what? <laughs> like, that's crazy. What a crazy way for the story to end. Yeah. You know, Spider-Man can't be dead dead because you just don't do that. But yeah, this story seems to set it up that there's no question he is dead. Yeah, man, it was it was it's nuts. Um, And he's pointing a rifle at Spider-Man and Spidey's fighting him and he's having this like running inner monologue about what could be going on. And he's been drugged. And then he um, he starts realizing, wait, is that a gun? And like every other third word of his monologue is like rifle, rifle, rifle. Like he's starting to realize there's a gun being pointed at. Yeah. Uh, And he thinks like this is not how. Craven fights. This can't be what he does. He even says rifles aren't your style, but he can tell in yeah. Craven's face that something different's going on. Uh, yeah. Then he gets shot and buried. And then Spidey's not in the story for the next two issues. Yeah. The next issue opens with Craven wearing Spider-Man's costume. Yeah. He was already crazy. Now he's even crazier. He's like taken on the role of Spider-Man. Um, and, and we also and like, see that issue. We also see like we meet Vermin for the first time in this storyline. Uh, yeah. Vermin is and, like sorry half rat half rat half man and he's eating humans like yeah, he's, he's in dragging it. humans into the sewers and eating them yeah it's like super intense gross villain story and what i did not remember at the time is how recently mary jane and peter parker had been married yeah that had just happened and i i, I had forgotten that i, yeah, I, I was also happened. surprised basically when I newlyweds, they have either just moved in together or are about to move in together um and so mary jane's like where's, where's peter he didn't come home yeah yeah and she knows she knows he's Spider-Man that he could be dead or something like that. Yes. And we, and we as the reader know that he is currently buried underground. Yeah. Um yeah, we and so Craven's running around as Spider-Man and Vermin is running around eating bodies. It's like when you're when you're reading the story you're like what what's going on here? Yeah, and what Craven decides to do in this issue at the very end of this issue like not a lot really happens in the story other than seeing the aftermath of Spider-Man's death is that Craven mm-hmm. decides to become Spider-Man and prove he is better than Spider-Man in all ways. And yeah. he goes and like stops a mugging right in front of Mary Jane, coincidentally enough. But he's so vicious. Mary Jane knows immediately it's not Peter. Yeah. He's like the psychotic Spider-Man. Um, 
It's the alien costume at this point, right? Like he's wearing the Peter is it's, buried. It's a replica. It's a replica of the alien costume. Okay, okay. After the alien costume was removed, Black Cat, uh, who preferred the black costume because she thought it was sexier, sewed right. him uh, a, a fabric version of it, which okay. he's wearing at this time because he doesn't have, I think, the red and blue costume. Okay. It got destroyed on in Secret Wars. He never got a new one. Um, okay, right, right. And he doesn't start wearing the red and blue, I think, until Venom. Hmm. Okay. Um, okay, that helps explain because he, if he had the alien costume, I think that could help him get out earlier. Or whatever. Well, he's he's drugged and buried anyway. So yeah, I mean, you okay. even see in the first issue, he pulls the costume up and pulls money out of his belt. It's not like there's never a time where like it spreads. The alien costume could move. Right, right. That's right. That's by right. his mental commands. I conflate a lot of these '80s stories in my in my foggy adult memory. Yeah. Okay, so uh, yeah, Craven's this vicious version of himself. Uh, Vermin is this like frightened cannibal animal. Like things are going bad here in in Spidey Land. Yes, um, and we don't see Spider Man until part four of the story. I think. Yeah, the next few issues is just Craven as Spider Man, and every now and then they just show the grave where Spider Man is buried. Yeah. Which I guess has been buried in Craven's like backyard because the gravestone says here lies Spider-Man slain by Craven the Hunter. I assume that's not just in a normal graveyard where somebody could just see it. Yeah, it's whatever big mansion Craven is hanging out at. Um, so when Peter in issue four like wakes up, it, it's revealed that he wasn't shot by a bullet. He was drugged. Well, even, like, before, even before Peter wakes up, Craven defeats Vermin. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's right. He d- which, he, Spider- which Spider-Man couldn't do on his own. Yeah. Vermin reveals that he fought Spider-Man the first time along with Captain America and together Spider-Man and Captain America were able to defeat Vermin. But Spider-Man didn't do it alone. So Craven easily single-handedly beats Vermin. That's how like issue three ends. And then issue four starts with Spider-Man basically maybe dead. Or like deep in his memory or whatever, like in some sort of like trapped in his mind. Yeah. Uh, And then, but waking up and breaking out of the ground and it's revealed that he he wasn't shot with a bullet. He was shot with drugs and turned into like a zombie for two weeks or something. Yeah. He was just put into basically a death-like state. uh, And now he's climbed out of the grave. Yeah. Craven didn't want to kill him. His weird like code of honor just wanted to replace him and show that he was better than him or something. He wanted to prove to Spider-Man and have Spider-Man know it. That Craven yeah. is a superior. What are those like? One of these like nutty villain code of honor type of things. I couldn't kill you. I needed you to see. You know that that sort of yeah. stuff. But now, but now Peter's like terrified because he's been like buried underground and yeah, Craven messes, has uh, shaken him up pretty good. Yeah, it messes him up. Uh, understandably. <laughs> Uh, it also feels like a Frank Miller thing. I feel like Daredevil now and then would be like, be, you know, like in the Born Again Daredevil series, Kingpin almost kills Daredevil and it leaves him kind of broken and mentally shattered. But I'll say this, even mentally shattered, there's a part of Spider-Man, he's such a human uh, character. Yeah. He still goes home to see Mary Jane. It's not like he spends the next three issues hunting down Craven. He first he, goes to see Mary Jane. I guess that's one of the themes of this is like human versus animal. Like Craven wants to see Spider-Man as an animal and as a force. And Peter Parker's like, no, I'm, I'm not a spider. I am Peter Parker. Yeah. I'm a man first. And, yeah. And he's got love in his life, even though he's got a lot of sadness and guilt and sorrow. Uh, he has love. He has loved ones. And he goes to see Mary Jane. Um, I guess, and she was worried about him. And it's a very sweet moment. Yes. Yeah. He tends to, he tends to his love first. Um, and it's, I guess the choice of vermin is like vermin is somehow this half rat, half man, but the rat side of vermin rules his nature more than the man side and spider-man is ruled more by his human side or something like that like i was just i just thought this was like the coolest story that i'd ever read when it came out i was like 
And, J- and JM is and, doing stuff like more with more subtlety and sort of thoughtfulness than I than I was accustomed to. And he really delved, he takes a vermin as a character. I guess JM Dimiteus invented himself uh, for okay. Captain America story, and okay. he really delves into that character even deeper when he starts writing Spectacular Spider Man. Okay, oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. And it's uh, a really cool arc for vermin. Actually, ends up happening for a character that seems very one note at this point. Yeah. It was even more one note, I think, in his first story. Each time you see Vermin, there's more to him than before. A lot of the what's good about I mean, I hope that if people haven't read Craven's Last Hunt, they dig it up and they and they find it, you know, either Marvel Unlimited or something or, or buy it somehow. But like I mean, it's been collected a number of times. But a lot of it is in the uh, the art, Zex art and the pacing and the weird trippy dream sequences. Like it's a real sort of like David Lynch Spider-Man story. I mean, if the movies ever did Craven, I would be shocked if this wasn't the, at least the inspiration for the story they write. You'd have to like this elevated the Craven character to something way more sinister and trippy and interesting. This is the only time Craven has felt like a real supervillain. Yeah. He's usually kind of like a caricature of some kind of strange big game hunter who's fun and gives people an excuse to have a bunch of jungle animals running around New York and stuff like that. Yeah. And not an easy win for Spider-Man, despite the fact that he's got no superpowers, but um, yeah, he's just, yeah, he doesn't feel like a Dr. Octopus Green Goblin level villain until this story. Yeah. And he, turns them into some kind of psychological insane <laughs> mind manipulator and it's super fun um but sp- and then it contrasts with peter parker who does not you know who is not insane and who refuses to even he, he's not going to buy into craven's like mind games craven's a bad guy he's going to catch him yeah i mean spider-man is messed up for the rest of the story he is you know freaking out that he's been buried alive for two weeks yeah but he's still going about his business of catching Craven. Yeah, and uh, so once he's back in action, we we start to um, we get into it. We you know it, it's kind of like the delay of having Spidey removed when he finally comes back. We're anticipating a big showdown. Yeah, um, and Craven shows that he's caught vermin. Yeah, he sh- he um, he gets Spidey back to his mansion, and he's like bragging that he was able to catch vermin. I mean, I think uh, from Spider-Man's point of view, it's like I don't even care about these things. You are pr- so big deal. Like you dressed up as me. Like you're insane. Uh, but he but Craven has Spider-Man fight vermin, and Spider-Man loses, which further proves to Craven that Craven has won. Yes. Um, and then weirdly Craven loses cause he basically gives up like Spidey kind of doesn't beat him in this story. Well, in Craven's mind, Craven has won. Yeah. So the battle's over. Yeah. He's won. He showed Spider-Man that he could kill Spider-Man if he wanted to. He could defeat Spider-Man's villains easily. One that Spider-Man struggles with though. He was buried alive for two weeks, <laughs> not necessarily in the best, uh, fighting form, yeah. I would guess. <laughs> right. Um, and then Vermin escapes and Spider-Man goes to catch Vermin and Craven basically says, I'll never hunt again. And so Spidey's like, well, I'll be back for you, but I am going to tend to this like cannibal monster that you just released. And then I will come back for you. And he goes and chases after Vermin and then Craven kills himself. Yeah. Commits suicide in a children's Spider-Man comic. <laughs> yeah, man, this is good. It's a really like disturbing story. Um, but with it, within the themes of the story, it's like yet another coffin, yet another burial. Um, it feels more literary and thoughtful than just an arbitrary shock value thing. Yeah. Um, it felt, this felt like this kind of cool novella when it came out. I was like, damn, son, this is like, I, I this was something else. This was on another level and everybody knew it when it was happening. 
Um, and Spidey catches Vermin, tries to show compassion, but this dude is just gone. Yeah, it's tough for Spider-Man too because he has to go underground into the sewers and he's freaking out about being buried oh, alive. Yeah, right, right. He's got like flashback memory to being buried alive. Um, but he's able to catch Vermin and Vermin's scared that Spider-Man's going to beat him up again because the last time he fought Spider-Man, Spider-Man was Craven. Uh, and Spider-Man wants to hurt him because he's so messed up. But of course, Spider-Man doesn't. He uh, ties him up and says, I'm going to get you help. I'm going to get reed richards to come help you yeah uh but he's captured then he goes back and craven's gone and craven's also confessed yeah the cops that the last two weeks had been not spider-man it had been craven the whole time because craven i I think we forgot to mention craven like killed a criminal yeah he was so much more brutal than spider-man so the cops were like we're hearing that spider-man is murdering criminals now but but the cops craven before he committed suicide had called the cops so they show up at his mansion find his body and find his confession like craven was in control of this the whole time yes uh and then he's gone and the cops know the whole story and so it kind of ties itself up yeah spider-man just sort of is along for the ride in this story uh, though he has messed up from it the other kind of cool motif throughout the story is uh jm keeps putting in text from the old uh, william blake poem uh, tiger tiger burning bright yes uh, uh, in the force of the night, what a mortal hand or eye could frame thy fearful symmetry, which is a frequently quoted poem. It's in Watchmen. Uh, yes. Uh, Rorschach quotes Tiger, Tiger, Burning Bright because of the fearful symmetry of his face. Um, so mid-80s dark and gritty comics writers loved this poem, but it's quoted as spider, spider, burning bright with a little Y instead of I. Yes. Um, and it's uh, cool, <laughs> man. It's a cool effect. I love it. Yeah. I don't know if that should work or not, but it sort of does. I mean, it's kind of hammy. It's kind of hammy. The way you describe it, it sounds terrible. But when you read it, it doesn't seem to bother me at all in there. It's just, yeah, I mean, a lot of this is um, just good atmospheric stuff. Zek's drawing, the presence of all these burials, the quotes of this poem, the strange dream sequence imagery, Craven's yeah. insane hunting preparation and his inner voices haunting him. Like, it works, man. The effects of the story are great. And throughout these issues, just every now and then there's a bottom panel that takes up like the whole bottom row or, or the bottom fourth of the page. And it's always, it's always something involving a grave. It's either someone digging a, a grave. It's either the grave where Spider-Man is buried uh, or a spider climbing on the gravestone or something like that. Yeah. It just checks in on every now and then. It just adds to sort of this moody yeah. to the story. It's a real cinematic tale. Um and uh, it's cool. And um, and I guess there were sequels to it. And like, I mean, this this story had a big impact. Yes. Jay? Uh, I think uh, JM's stuff followed up on this more than maybe anything else did. He definitely wrote a sequel to this. And then his run of Spectacular brought it up every now and then. Yeah. Um, and I certainly remembered. It's one of the highlights of my superhero comics reading. It's And I recommend it a million percent. Like anybody who's a fan of Spider-Man should read this story. Yeah. It's, it's one of the rare mostly self-contained Spider-Man stories where you don't really need to know much of what's going on in the Spider-Man mythos at this time. Like a lot of times you read Spider-Man stories and it's like, well, what's his status quo? What's going on here? What's going on here? And you know, he's with Mary Jane. That's all you really need to know. Yeah. So yeah, that's Craven's last hunt and it holds up. It holds up big time. It's it's one of the best Spider-Man stories. Uh, it's one I think we recommended to Brian, our younger brother, and he loved it as well. Yeah. Um, so three out of three Heinzes agree. <laughs> and... Um... And you know what, Kevin? You were absolutely right. We talked so long about Cravens that we don't have time to get into the Mark Wade story this time. Yeah, so it sounds like Mark Wade 
your your career will last a little longer because Will's skewering of your <laughs> of title. The title, the story I love, by the way. <laughs> the story is great. It's a great two parter. It's really fun yeah. art, but the story, the title is so bad, it's going to destroy your career, Mark Wayne. But not yet. not yet. Not yet. We'll have to do this another episode. I mean, I assume next episode we'll go back to doing Ditko issues, and we'll come back and do another episode where we revisit some classic spider arcs. Yeah, spider stories that we can't cover. Yes, other that, ones. That, that's that's how I want to do it. Yeah. So yeah. So next week we'll be talking about issue amazing spider-man number 25 which i think yep. might be a green goblin storyline but i don't remember for sure it's spider slayer spider slayer that's right and um and then but we will return do another special episode of sort of other spidey arcs yeah there's so we'll many good Mark ones Story. yeah we also we have a, uh, tons of mail that we don't have time to get to so we'll get to some of that next episode so keep writing us at screw it spidey at gmail.com Tell yeah, us. Check out our Instagram, Screw It Spidey uh, on Instagram. Yep. Uh, it's also Screw It Spidey at Twitter. Uh, so we've got Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail. They're all Screw It Spidey. Uh, you can email us with arcs that you think we should cover. We, you know, already pretty much have decided the ones we're going to cover, but feel free to recommend other stuff that maybe will inspire us to change our minds. Yeah. If you've, if you've read Kid Who Collected Spider-Man or Craven's Last Hunt, tell us what you think of it. And um, I think that's... It. I mean, I, I don't think we're doing any awards because we didn't do a single issue this time. We didn't do awards the last couple episodes, and some people have emailed and missed the awards. So those will be back next episode. The awards will be back. The awards will be back. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, Kevin, uh, great job. Yeah, Will, you also did a great job. You were craven-like <laughs> in your uh, destruction of these stories. <laughs> oh, that's a high high praise. Yeah. Um, well, like Joe Face, I just wanted to give these stories a decent box and a piece of ground. <laughs> great. Um, all right, I'm going right, to go so, uh, sob to myself remembering the kid who collects. And, I'm going to uh, go out into a murderous rage in the streets of Los Angeles. Great, great. So we've both got plans. Yep, and uh, I'll see you next episode, Kevin. See you then, Will. Bye. Bye, everyone. Screw it, screw it. We're just going to talk about Spider-Man. Campfire.